Hey, business owners, need help taking payments online? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through payment accepting, customer connecting, real-time reporting, round-the-clock supporting, fraud detecting or business protecting. <gasps> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To get started, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and the Sunday Independent. This week, is the iPhone's new anti-ad tracking update a blow for freedom or is it a shackle on business? Now, let me just explain before I bring the guests in. You probably know this already, but for most, most this will probably be a breath of fresh air. So the latest iOS 14.5 update starts showing you pop-ups when you visit an app. You've probably seen this already if you have an iPhone. It asks a very simple question. Do you want to allow this app to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites? And this is accompanied normally by a short pitch by the app as to why they might want you to do it. Some of them are decent, some of them are a bit flimsy, um, but they have to do this and they can't limit the functionality of the app to you saying, yes, you have to allow them to track you across the web because Apple will kick them out of the App Store if you uh, if if you do if they do that. Um, now there are already some indications that most people are saying no, maybe three or four to one, according to some indications uh, I've seen. So, is it a no-brainer for privacy? Are we completely relieved, or is there any other side to it? Now, David Campbell, I'm going to bring you in at this point. You're head of e-commerce at home, consumer finance company, and you're also director. Um, of Digital Business Ireland. Now, we know that this is probably a popular move with consumers. I'm asking, and I've asked you this question before, whether you think it could have any negative effects for small businesses trying to go about their, their business. Yeah, I definitely do think there's obviously two sides to the story because especially with Irish SMEs, whether it be small, medium, large enterprises, Facebook, it's a huge aspect of their digital marketing strategy. It has been for the past couple of years and mm. obviously will continue to be in the future so it's been a challenging time over the past couple of months there's been a huge digital shift with the irish online mm. economy and i do think it will be a challenge to an awful lot of irish retailers and agencies alike yeah so like if i'm trying to think of reasons why if I was to stand in your shoes as to reasons why this might be a problem, I might think, well, this could be wasted money because whether you like it or not, um, cookies and the way that advertising works on the web, there are a lot of bad sides to it. But one of the productive sides to it is it's a very efficient way of trying to get to your audience, particularly in a pandemic. Like, So if you were out of business and you started a, a small uh, c company online and you were really focusing on that online trading element and you had little or no money to market yourself and you're looking for customers this was a very effective way of getting to people who are most likely to genuinely be interested in the product or service that you're trying to sell right yep 
And like, to be fair, there's a huge amount of resources available, whether it be Facebook Insights, the Ads Manager, for example, there's a huge amount of data across different demographics, mm. whether it be age, location, previous shopping habits, and different Irish retailers, they may not have a huge amount of support or resources on board, whether it be their marketing, digital marketing, uh, roles within the business, they may not have the actual funds to outsource this to an agency. So Facebook has obviously been a pivotal way uh, for their digital growth strategy over the past couple of years. Mm. I'll bring in Dara O'Brien, uh, Chief Executive of Castlebridge, a privacy firm. Dara, you've been on this podcast many times before. We've spoken about uh, privacy quite a lot. Um, I know how you're going to feel about this. Um, probably not that different to how I feel about it, but isn't there a point there? I mean, for all of the creepiness of online ads, they are actually very efficient at speeding legitimate businesses to audiences that are most likely to want their services. I have no real issue with online ads. The issue is, with online ads is the the, the, the very targeted ad tech uh, ecosystem. And interestingly, Procter & Gamble looked into this a couple of years ago. Uh, almost a decade ago now, Procter & Gamble looked into what their return on investment was for very targeted uh, ad spend. And they found out that actually bringing things up a level, instead of looking for uh, all the expected mothers between certain ages in certain towns, if they broadened out the scope to a, a larger demographic, they actually got a better return on investment for their advertising. So I think the issue here isn't whether the, the tools aren't going to work. The issue is that we have to use them in a different way to get best value out of them. Because the one mm. fundamental point here that needs to be borne in mind is that what Apple have done here is quite simply bring their ad tracking platform closer into compliance with what has been the law since 2009 in the European Union. Mm. Now, I'll, 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 I'll come to um, what Apple's motivations may or may not be. You, you could legitimately give them credit for wanting to boost privacy. You also might suspect that there's a bit of a commercial power play going on here. Irrespective of the commercial power play, Adrian, Regulation 5.3 of SI336, which, enact, which was, is law in Ireland since 2011, and enacts the e-privacy directives, which are law in Europe since 2009. If ever I'm on a quiz show and I get stuck on a GDPR question, you are definitely this is, this going is to my, be my, my phone of friend. This is my specialist topic for, for your phone of friend. But any, it's not just cookies as we know them in the web browser context. It's any data written to or read from a device connected to to a public communications network. That's what you require, what consent is required for if that is not necessary for the information society services being delivered. Yeah. And that's what, Can you, that's let me, let me ask you, let me ask you, are there any apps or any examples that you can think of where you might willingly allow yourself to be targeted? You might tick, yes. I can actually think of one or two, right? Um, there was a one good one that came up, which was um, the Merriam-Webster dictionary uh, app i'm not sure if you saw this this is the message they give you when you're being asked will you allow it to track you uh, across the web the collegiate dictionary and thesaurus with hundreds of thousands of entries are free but we couldn't do that without ads now that that, that that's a pretty good way it's sort of pulling at your heartstrings isn't it it is and Again, that might be something people choose to do. The problem is that hmm. in that ecosystem, your data is not just being packaged for Merriam-Webster. It's being packaged for other advertising purposes as well. And that's the key problem. Hmm. That's where we have a, a, lot, a lot of investigations from a number of European supervisory authorities into ad tech. Uh, the ICO last, two years ago now, 2019, did an investigation, 
found there were problems, gave the industry six months to get its act together, and then promptly did nothing about it uh, when, when the deadline was missed. So I think mm. what we're looking at here is that this is the, the, the arc of 30 years of consumer preference. All of the research over the last 30 years has shown that consumers want more choice that how their data is used and what people can or can't do with data that's gathered about, gathered about them online. That has been almost consistent in every study that I've looked at over the last 30 years across numerous jurisdictions. The whole idea mm. of the privacy paradox really comes down to the fact that consumers have not been given a clear choice in a lot of cases, and it's, it's the choice has been take it or leave it. Now they've been given a choice of leave it or take it, which is a, a different a different dynamic. Yeah, David, it's on one level, it's kind of hard to argue with the moral high ground here. Apple has kind of seized it because however, whatever the arguments we may uh, come up with in terms of why this might be an efficient way uh, for business to take place online, like who can argue with the, you know, being given a choice, you have a choice whether or not to, um, you know, to to, to allow yourself uh, to be tracked or not. Now, I know it's not quite as simple as that, but they kind of have the moral high ground here, don't they? Yeah, and it obviously is up to different advertising platforms, whether it be, say, Facebook and Instagram, to obviously keep up to date with various stations, mm. whether it be Apple rolling it out with their new features across the software. But they still will be able to obviously get hierarchy events such as data from Anticart, the volume of purchases, mm. the cost per order, so the top level data. And Dara did mention a very good point. So there is obviously pros and cons to this, but there may be a lower cost to actually advertising, so bidding for various different audiences, different keywords, there might be less competition across certain demographics, and it may actually develop better client relationships. So if you're an Irish retailer dealing with a digital agency, they obviously have an onus to be keep up to date with the latest trends, industry sector reports, for example, and just to provide the best service as much as possible. Mm. I've, I've heard arguments both ways on that. There, I was part of a, a discussion uh, earlier this week about the demise of the cookie and whether Google's federated learning of cohorts, flock as they call it, might step in on Chrome or but but whether this would be a good or a bad thing for media companies and publishers and on the one level it on one it's a disaster and people like Axel Springer in Germany are saying that no no with all this privacy stuff that robs us of the ability to track users is terrible but it's kind of weird given that his newspaper group is always saying the tech giants are evil for tracking you around the place and now he's suing one of them for doing you know for for tightening up on that but also they're making that point as well that maybe this uh, could lead to closer relationships between publishers, for example, um, and customers. And maybe that needs, leads to more meaningful ads. Or maybe that's just us pie in the sky, hoping that tomorrow will be a brighter day. You know, I think it's, it's also worth bearing in mind, Adrian, that app developers can also look at using other SDKs that don't use the same level of individual or device level tracking um, to build... Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is there, Dara, is you're dead right, right? But ultimately, for all of the pros for cutting out tracking, you are going to get less relevant ads, surely. I mean, I am going to start getting seeing ads for lipstick. Well, who says that that's not relevant, Adrian? (laughs) Or even worse, Manchester United gear, you know? I mean, come on. Every advertiser has standards, Adrian. No one's going to send you a Manchester United gear. (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't be sure about that. But, but you know, the, the point remains that like there are other obviously there 
are things that are going to step in here. The advertising market is not going to shut down um, overnight. It, you know, the the web is going to is still the future uh, of most advertising platforms, but um, it, there will be fewer relevant ads. And it goes back to the example of the startup who might say have only say a thousand euro in total to spend on marketing or advertising. They're going to waste more of that budget now. It depends. They may be wasting that budget at the moment anyway by being overly targeted in their advertising. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried it on Facebook. I, I don't advertise, but I've spoken to plenty who have and go on Facebook. And the precision with which you can target your ads, as we all know from several scandals, is unbelievable. And there is a creepy side to that, but there's also an incredibly efficient side to that as well. Yeah, it obviously is a great tool. To be fair, it has been very successful over the past couple of years. If you're limited in resources, like the insights uh, across various different demographics, lookalike audiences, whether it be in Ireland, across the European Union, if you're bidding for various different consumers, like it is a great resource. Nobody can argue against that point, but uh, various retailers, they'll obviously now have to utilize data that they have on hand, whether it be pushing more towards email marketing campaigns, other platforms, I mean, in th- in theory, they should and they could, but um, this is another thing that came up in the publishers conference that I was uh, speaking at. That's great in theory, but in practice, in a newspaper, for example, or a retailer, you're good at selling stuff. You're good at maybe a, a being a chain retailer. Maybe you're a good publisher. You're good at getting news stories. You're not brilliant at ad technology. Google and Facebook are. There are lots of companies out there that are. It's not what you're going to specialize in. But it brings back, Adrian, to like 25 years ago when I started working in phone company designing single view of customer databases and CRM systems. It's about understanding the data about your customers as an organization. It's about having your own Mm. platform, your own face to your customer, and then using things like Facebook and and the ad tech segments as an add-on to your marketing, not your sole marketing. Like the analogy I've been drawing for years is that relying on Facebook as your, your storefront is a bit like setting up in the local mall. If the mall gets flooded or blown up or something happens, your shop is gone. Whereas if you've got your own mm. store and you're working working in that, that, that are using the mall for advertising and things like that, yeah, that, that's a much better situation. You'd be that, that's the same argument of not having a shop in Cork or Longford. <laughs> Or anywhere near the Shannon. Who'd have a shop in Cork? Um, no, I'm obviously I'm being facetious. Let me say what Facebook says. Now, you know, health warning, this is Facebook. Obviously, they're going to have um, a particular view on this. They've warned that the app update could cut the money earned through its, its ad network by half, hitting small businesses the hardest. It also says that Apple's being hypocritical because it will force businesses to turn to subscriptions and other in-app payments for revenue from which Apple takes a cut. Now, even though this is Facebook, they do have a point on Apple. I mean, over on the other side of the aisle, mm. Apple, as we know, is currently in the, tr- in the trenches for the 30% cut that it takes from its app store, which looks increasingly indefensible. Um, and yet it will argue with the same moral passion uh, as it does about privacy and iOS 14.5. It'll argue the same for its 30% cut in the app store. You know? Apple's not perfect. The thirty percent. One argument is that if they, they they may they may revisit that in the future, that that's a possibility. No, they'll have to. Yeah. The, Europe, the, the the commission is going to kneecap them. I th- I think. But the, the the other issue is that Apple 
Another one of the other innovations in I, in iOS fourteen point five is the Apple Tag. I don't know if you saw that as well, Adrian. The uh, the, the Apple answer to tile. Oh, I have one. Yeah. I, ha I have a couple of them actually. Um, um, which, let me just see. If which I is can... fantastic, but Apple yeah. have dropped the ball here. I think from a privacy perspective, because they don't seem to have considered the threat modeling for people in abusive relationships and things like that, because the, it's a wonderfully discrete device, but the, the use of Bluetooth ultra wideband means much more yeah. accurate tracking. And Do you know what's interesting about that? You, 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 maybe, and I know we're off the track, but seeing as you raised it, I'll, I'll mention, because there's something I've thought about as well. It, if, if I wanted to say, in a creepy way, track, say, my spouse, and if I say slipped it into her jacket <laughs> or a bag, or whatever, and to see what what was happening, her phone will let her know that there is an air tag in that bag, a strange air tag, and so she will be aware. If she has an iPhone. If no, no, I no, think it's, it's, it's with an Android it's phone. It's only on iOS at the moment. It's not. No, 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 no. The, the system works in iOS, although it, it is compatible with um, Android. Like, for example, it has a feature called loss mode. And if, let's say if, you, if it, your keys drop out in the middle of a street and you don't know and you get home, and you've no keys. If you put your AirTag into la lost mode, it's not just iPhones that will detect it. If somebody picks it up and puts it to the back of their Android phone, assuming it has uh, NFC, which they all do yeah. now. Um, it, a form will actually come up. They will communicate with you. So it's not strictly only uh, I, iOS. But the point I was going to make about the the creepy example with planting it in my wife's bag, for example, even if she's uh, an Android phone, it will actually come up. But you know what? I, I'm actually going to do an example. Of that. I'm actually going because I, I have them for review. Okay. And that's one of the, the, the cases I'm actually I'm going to see. Can I do that? <laughs> I'm obviously going to tell her. <laughs> But <laughs> for ethical what? disclosure, Adrian will tell his wife he's experimenting on her. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and exactly. For journalistic purposes, obviously, Adrian, so you have the journalistic exemption under GDPR, so you're fine. Yeah, that only goes so far, but yeah. Um, but look, um, but my, my point is I, that I, Apple have taken the higher, higher moral ground in some aspects. I agree with you completely on the 30%. And that's going to mm. have to be reviewed, particularly as they're now moving into essentially creating a monopolistic situation for themselves. It's weakening their case in, on the other side. But also, they, it's difficult for Apple to consistently hold themselves out of a paragon of always getting privacy right when they sometimes have blind spots around the implementation of new technologies, just like Facebook kind of blind spots around the implementation of new technologies. Apple, there's not as big. And likewise, Google similarly can have issues, but sometimes... They try to get it right, and they all try to get it right to various levels. And Apple, unfortunately, put, has put a target on its back because they claim they're getting, they, they try harder than everyone else. And sometimes I'm just concerned about the, uh, the tags because there seems to have been a, uh, they, they've missed the trick in terms of identifying the threat models that exist and how they can be, they how, how they can be catered for, but it's still better than Tile. Yeah, I mean, I, I take your point. By the way, interesting side point on Apple. I'm not sure if you saw, either of you saw Apple's recent earnings uh, 10 days ago. I did the back of the envelope maths on it and according to their quarterly results their revenue is now a billion dollars a day and their profit is a billion dollars every four days so profit is a billion dollars every four days so they've got a they've uh so that's i suppose if this can maybe gently encourages more people into buying more thousand euro iphones actually that's i shouldn't be facetious not all iphones cost thousand euro you can buy a 500 euro new 
uh, iPhone. So um, I, I let's strike that one from the record. Um, just before we go, uh, get any quick reaction if either of you have one. This week, Google in Ireland said that 20% of its workers here would be able to work from home permanently or be able to apply to work from home permanently. I thought that was a fairly low bar in terms... I, I've been of the opinion for some time that the narrative we have about all of us or most of us choosing a hybrid model or working from home as opposed to going back to the office is a little bit overstated. I, I, I can't see that happening. And I think that Google, which is a company that an awful lot of people, uh, an awful lot of other companies look to for work practices in Ireland, certainly in the tech sector and by definition, the wider sector. And um, I thought 20% was a quite a kind of a low figure. Do either of you think that's about right or, or not? Definitely with us, any of our member partners and retailers, they all do expect a hybrid model going forward. What is a hybrid model, though? I mean, is that just a couple of days a week? I think or? it obviously has to be kind of case by case, but there has to be clear structures in place for the businesses going forward. Mm. Obviously, when we do return to the office safely, but I do agree what you're saying. Obviously, with Google, you probably would be expecting a bit more than maybe 20% other tech firms. They've actually mm. said the entire workforce, they obviously do have the availability to work from home permanently if needs be. Although it's a funny with the multinationals here, and I'm not sure if it's the same in your sector, uh, David, generally speaking, when they say work for home from home, they actually do mean within Ireland. You, you can't go to Ibiza. Yeah. Um, I, and that, that's a, I think that's legal tax <laughs> revenue reasons. Uh, but, but because, and then there's the other thing that sometimes comes up. Oh, well, that just means that, uh, well, like, why would they hire anybody in Ireland again? Because it's Google in its office in Ireland. They're not going to hire people in Poland to work from Poland for Google Ireland's office. As far that's my best understanding when I've asked those questions. I, I think my, my take on Adrian is that Google have quite a lot of sunk some cost investment in property in the Docklands. Yeah. And someone's run this through uh, a Google sheet and they've identified that 20% is what they can live with before they start having office space that is non-productive for them and is costing mm. them money. Productive is an interesting word because um, if you talk to people in those the tech companies, a lot of them are still big believers in physical presence mm. and collaborative stuff and knocking heads together and coming up with ideas. Um, and a lot of their workers live in apartments. Like they don't want to be condemned and I think to working and living that's actually in the same. probably the bigger issue here, Adrian. If Google is setting their target low, it's because they know that if they set their target higher, they won't they won't get that higher target. They won't get that higher threshold because a lot of their staff want to go back into the office because they're sharing a one or two bedroom apartment with three or four other people. And that's not a great working environment to be in. So from an optics perspective for Google, if they said 50% of our staff working remotely or in a hybrid model, and they only got 20%, that's a bad day at the office for Google. If they say 20%, but we had applications from 30% and we're going to revise our target upwards, that's a much nicer headline. Mm, yeah, but that, that's if they go with it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that they'd like 30% of their uh, staff well, to work from home. It all boils down, and we've, we've written a lot in Castlebridge on connected working. And the fact that there's going to be a spectrum that people will be working with 
uh, in organizations. Some people will, work, will be working from home all the time. Some will be working from home some of the time. Some people will be in the office all the time, either because they want to or because of the nature of their roles, they have to be. And then you're going to have, as David said, uh, and as you said, people coming together to work on projects, to work on bashing heads together. And I've, I've worked remotely for most of the last 25, 26 years. Um, actually designed, defined the remote working policies for a phone company way, way, way in the dim and distant past um, because they didn't have one and I want, I needed one. Um, and it comes down to identifying that, those moments for collaboration and when they're most effective. There's an awful lot we can do with Teams, but we've gotten really good, an awful lot better than we were a year ago working in this sort of environment, doing these sorts of, of, of collaborative things online. But there's still that sitting down and having a chat and, and the, the the management of walking around virtually is fine, but just sitting down with people and having a cup of tea and getting a sense for them as a person is really important. And just collaborating around, collaborating around a whiteboard is also very important, but not necessarily all the time. So I think we're going to see different organizations with different ways of doing it. My Castlebridge was fully remote, fully virtual as a company until 2017. We mm. simply went back yeah. to the way we were working uh, during the during the lockdown. Yeah, it seems uh, of the big companies that have embraced this most, it seems to be people like like um, HR software companies, uh, recruitment companies, Indeed, yep. uh, which has a huge office in Stevens Green in Dublin. They say that anyone who wants to work fully remote can. And as a result of that, I know of one person who actually relocated from Dublin down to Waterford, bought a house down there where she's from because she was told she could. And uh, she decided, right, instead of renting a place for a lot of money in Dublin, I'm going to actually buy in Waterford. But I'm not sure that that's tip. I don't think I'm not sure that that's typical. And also, what the hell is a city going to look like if everybody decides to work? Like, what is a city? A big retail park where you just go and shop and eat? And why would you go to eat uh, and shop there if if you're you're living all of your life? Um, anyway, these are big questions. These, these I know. are the really right. big questions we come here to ask. Darren, if I know if we're going to get an answer, Adrian, because I've only gotten any so far in any of the podcast yeah. recordings we've done together. Da- David, before I go, tell us a little bit about home. Yep. So we're a buy now, pay later solution. So we're alternative to cash card payments. We work both in store and online across all various different sectors. So it could be electronic and tech, fashion. And jewelry retailers, for example, and it's an Australian-based company. We have offices in New Zealand, Ireland, and we'll be launching into the UK later this month. Cool. Okay. How did you get working with them? Um, in a previous role, they were actually a partner of ours, and they're investing kind of heavily into their online growth, and it was just a natural fit. So I really bought into the business. Nice. Okay. Well, listen. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks also to you, Dara, again for coming on the podcast and. Uh, that is all we have time for this week. You know the drill. We'll be here at the same time uh, next week. And uh, so for me, Adrian Wecker, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, bye for now. <laughs>